I sometimes think of vocabulary as being the Darwinian test case for the survival of words. And it is a ladybug because of a very particular lady. Coming up on Word Matters, the lady in Ladybug and a pair of distinct but hard to distinguish adjectives. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Neil Servan, Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. Consider the humble ladybug. Today, we are finally exploring the intersection of etymology and entomology with an examination of this beloved beetle's common appellation. Join me for a dig into the story of how the ladybug got its name. I have a favorite insect. My favorite insect is the ladybug. Mm. It's a pretty insect. Good choice. Yeah, yeah, they're good. They eat aphids, which is helpful. They do good jobs in gardens. They are cute. They are so cute that people put them on dish towels and all kinds of other housewares and clothing and whatnot. There are no gentleman bugs, although ladybugs <laughs> are both no, male not. and female. Yes. The ladybugs, it's clear that the bug part comes from the bug as referring to an insect. Ladybugs are beetles, which means that with weevils, they make up the largest order of insects, coleoptera. The lady part, though, I was really curious about, and so I did some research about why is it a ladybug, right? And it is a ladybug because of a very particular lady, the Virgin Mary, who is often called Our Lady of... The bug. (laughs) Our Lady of many things, right? But that is where the word ladybug comes from. The lady part is a reference to Mary, the mother of Jesus. The story of this is pretty interesting. Think about ladybugs. There are apparently 5,000 varieties of ladybugs. They are all members of the family Coxinellidae. The color of the wing covers and the number of spots vary for them. But the first ladybug to be referred to as a ladybug was a common European ladybug that had seven spots. And the seven spots on the ladybug were understood as corresponding to the seven sorrows of Mary. Mm-hmm. Good thing they didn't give us seven sins, because sin bug doesn't have quite the same ring to it, does it? (laughs) No, it really doesn't. really doesn't. Seven sorrows of Mary. Do you want to hear them all? I have them all. Yes, yeah. Okay. The first sorrow is the prophecy of Simeon and Anna. And this is a prophecy when Mary and Joseph took Jesus to be blessed in a temple. And Simeon and Anna... It was mostly Simeon, actually, who kind of explained that things ahead for Jesus and for Mary were not going to be always pleasant. That was the first sorrow, and specifically that Mary's soul was going to be pierced by a sword. The second sorrow was the flight into Egypt. They had to flee Bethlehem and go to Egypt because King Herod was behaving abominably and killing all of the boys. The third sorrow was when Jesus was lost for three days. And then his parents found him in a temple. They were in a big group of people. They had been visiting this temple. They left. Three days later, they realize he's not in the caravan with them. So they go back and they find him. And he is in the temple being taught and asking really good questions and just kind of learning in this temple. But that horrible situation of being a parent who doesn't know where your child is for three days, right? The fourth sorrow is when Jesus was condemned to die. The fifth sorrow is the actual crucifixion. The sixth 
is the retrieval of Jesus' body, and the seventh is the burial of Jesus. So these are the seven sorrows of Mary. And English speakers applied the word ladybug to this bug, I think, you know, as a way to kind of meditate on the idea of Mary and her sorrows while they were out gardening or just out in the world. It was kind of this connection between their spiritual beliefs and the natural world. I had no idea there was so much history on the back of the bug. (laughs) Yes. Well, and there are other names for the ladybug. In American English, ladybug is used almost exclusively, but in British English, ladybird is probably the more common word. They don't consider that a misnomer? I mean, it's not a bird, obviously. No, it's not. But, you know, they don't really care in the English language historically hasn't really cared because they have also historically been called lady cows. They've been called lady cows? Not the British speakers of English, but the ladybugs have been called lady cows. But not the British. (laughs) (laughs) It's more like a beetle than a bird. It is more like a beetle than a bird. So ladybug, we can definitely get behind as, you know, if you have to choose between bird and bug. But English doesn't really need to care that these names are perfectly appropriate in that way. Otherwise, we'd be going with Lady Coleoptera, and that's no fun. That's right. It is interesting, though, that we kind of pursued this very deep story for this name and for this creature. To go as far as explaining the spots and everything, I don't think other creatures really get that same depth of their origins. I don't know where cricket comes from or anything like that, but a grasshopper is kind of obvious, you know, why it's called a grasshopper. A mosquito, I believe, is little fly, well, we, right? We do have praying mantis, which has got some nod to the, the religious there. Right, but you can tell it's from the behavior, right? The mantis looks like it is Mm -hmm. praying. But I wonder when English speakers stopped connecting the ladybug to Mary and the Seven Sorrows. I never had any inkling that there was any connection between the word ladybug and the Virgin Mary. I suppose the only connection I would have made as a child is just that it's pretty. Maybe it was only females had certain markings that male insects didn't. I don't know if I would have gone that far even, but... It never occurred to me to question why it wasn't a gent bug or why there was no comparable gent bug or guy yeah. bug. or. It's associated also with the Volkswagen Beetle because we call it the Beetle in English. The French word for the Volkswagen Beetle is coccinelle. Coccinelle. Which is oh, which obviously why? just the French version of the Latin genus name. Yeah, wow. there was a period in my life when I really wanted to get a red Volkswagen Beetle oh. and paint a black dot on either mm. side. I did. There was a period in my life when I just got ladybugs because I love to garden. And I was planning on overwintering, meaning taking out from the ground and bringing into my apartment a bunch of hot pepper plants. So I brought about 10 or 12 hot pepper plants and potted them and brought them into New York City apartment and very quickly realized, of course, I also brought the aphids with me. Aha. Then I discovered that if you go online, you can just buy ladybugs and they're quite reasonable for buying bugs in the mail. So I bought 500 of them and they ship them to you in a little container and then I just let them go in my apartment and then I had 500 ladybugs in my apartment <laughs> all winter, and they really did the job they were advertised to do, which is they really cleaned up the aphids. But then I had to, like, worry about the ladybugs because they, they're my responsibility. Now. Did your lease allow for pets? There was no mention made of it. It's so funny because especially in a New York City apartment, when you see bugs, your first thought is not, ooh, that's nice. But with ladybugs, it really is kind of heartwarming. And there's no downside. I mean, they don't bite. Unless you're an aphid, there's no downside. And I had to try to let them all go once it warmed up. But they had enough aphids to keep them going all winter. No kidding. Yeah. 
Now, I do know the poem, Ladybug, Ladybug, Fly Away Home, Your House is on Fire, Your Children Are Gone. Mm-hmm. It's such a downer. This whole story is just a real <laughs> downer. But I do know the origin of that also. It alludes to a post-harvest event in England. After the fields of hops had been cleared, they would set fire to the whole thing. Wow. I had a different version. I thought it was fly away. Your children are alone, not your children are gone. Your version is a little darker than the one Super that I grew dark. up with. Yeah, I'm going to teach what, yours what, to my kids. The rest is like your fields have been salted and your <laughs> people have been put to the sword and your temples have been burned and all memory of you has been erased from the history. It goes on like that, I suppose. Right? Yeah, probably. Wow. Yeah. And we just think of them as cute little bugs. You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. We'll be back after the break with the difference between the lexical siblings transmissible and transmittable. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for the Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org. I'm Neil Servin. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. Take a verb, say transmit, and use it to create an adjective, say transmittable. Now use that same verb to create another very similar adjective, transmissible. Twins like these exist in English and often maintain distinct meanings and usages. Here's Peter Sokolowski on how we ended up with the very close but still different words transmittable and transmissible. There are forms of related words that sometimes seem almost synonymous and are used in different ways. And I sometimes think of vocabulary as being the Darwinian test case for the survival of words. Now, it could be argued that any word we use today is a survivor, is a word that survived a lot of time. And some of these have survived all kinds of attacks and battles and have changed meanings over the years. But there are words with shades of meaning that are so close that when you think about it, you realize, oh, well, these are almost the same or they come from the same place. Like, for example... I have a question for you all. Do you make a distinction between the words admittable and admissible? Sure. I use one, and I don't usually use the other. (laughs) (laughs) I think of one for evidence, admissible evidence. Admittable is about going to the hospital. And that's what you're willing to admit. (laughs) Right. But actually, that's the distinction I think is natural. Admittable means connected somehow to allow entry, like a literal entry to a place. And, and yet admission and is what you pay to get into a place. And, and admissions to a college. There's admissions to a college. However, is the student admittable, I think, would be the way you would say that, because we would, I think, naturally think admissible is more connected to non-tangible things like evidence, right? Right. Um, so why Yeah, why they fall in that? different places. It's interesting that since Samuel Johnson in his dictionary in 1755, he actually makes that distinction that we're making right now, that admittable has to do with allowing entry. 
but admissible has to do with allowing ideas or evidence or facts. That's the secret truth of Merriam-Webster's that we're all closet Johnsonians. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't tell anybody. But how funny, right, that admission, admission to a school or admission to a movie or something, that that is the admission with the two S's. Yes is not corresponded to a verb with S's. Yeah, because admissible is far more frequently used than the word admittable, which is clearly a predictable form and understandable. And yet, if you were to do a corpus search, you'd find that admissible is more common. Well, here's a second question. How about the distinction between permittable and permissible? I would say I use permissible a lot more just generally. Sure. I don't think I, I would use permittable in many circumstances at all. I feel like permittable would be about able to be issued a permit. Yeah, but like permittable, not permittable, but <laughs> right. sort of satisfying the requirements for a permit. Permittable architectural plans, for example, so that it's a, a super narrow sense, whereas permissible is the general one. Here's another one, transmittable and transmissible. Transmittable sounds like radios. That's right. Right. Capable of being transmitted. Transmissible is just the terror. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Transmissible is one that has a meaning, I think, that we associate with medical contexts today. Like right? contagious diseases? Absolutely. Kind of yeah. Like a transmissible virus, obviously, is something we're concerned with in recent months. But the disease is not transmissible, for example. That context is interesting. And basically, all these are parallel forms. They're interesting forms that come from Latin terms. Just to get a little into the grammar of this, it, the infinitive forms of these etymons of the Latin roots of these verbs had the T spellings. So it was admittere, permittere, transmittere. But the past participles of these had the S spellings, admissus, permissus, transmissus. And the problem with the English use of these words is that this happened so often in the like early modern period, the 16th, 17th century, people who knew Latin really well corrected the people who borrowed these terms in the first place. And so some of these past participles, which were in Latin formed with the S version, had been already formed in English with the T version. And that's why we have these parallel forms. And what's interesting about these is that they were all used in a parallel way, and sometimes in different ways. Transmissible originally was the legal use. In other words, your property was transmissible to your heirs in the 16th, 17th century. And that has shifted with modern medicine and modern language to being almost entirely medical in use. It's shifted with us not really having any property to leave to our heirs as well. It's become a non-necessary word as time has gone on. I know. Now when I hear transmissible and heirs, I'm picturing A-I-R-S. <laughs> right. Disease and, <laughs> and oxygen and don't breathe on me. Transmittable, how would you use that? Transmittable is what I think with the radio. That's right. Broadcasting. Broadcasting or data, Broadcasting. maybe? Mm-hmm. So in other words, these words, kind of a Darwinian way, have sort of fallen into their usage over the centuries into different places, so much so that these essentially parallel forms that were formed from identical etymologies still end up being used as useful distinctions in English. Like we still have omit and submit. There is omissible and there is submissible. Submissible is yeah, the word? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But there's very little evidence of submittable. Well, it's funny because there's a website, a program called Submittable, which people use to upload manuscripts and documents. Exactly. That's the way it's used, right? To present or propose something for consideration, right? To submit something. It strikes me that the ones that stick to the misspellings, like the admissible evidence and transmissible diseases, they seem to have scholarship of long traditions. And so that might be why there's more of an inclination to adhere to 
Latin properties. Yeah. Whereas transmittable, you're dealing with radio, radio, a couple centuries old invention, not even. So the language of that isn't necessarily going to have a need to adhere to these Latin properties. So people use the verb transmit. The word transmit entered the vocabulary of radio when you needed something to describe something that was capable of being transmitted. Instead of going back to the Latin, you just tacked on the able suffix, which you probably already knew from many other words, and then transmittable became this perfectly suitable word for what you needed that was different from transmissible. Absolutely. You're making me think of something, which is permittable and admittable both have this kind of concrete idea. Permit would be like a sheet of paper, some kind of legal document, and admittable would mean you, you walk through a doorway or you would be actually admitted to a place. That's kind of interesting that we have figured out some kinds of distinctions on our own. And again, I use this term Darwinian. Maybe that's not the right linguistic term, but English has had our choice of these forms and we chose to keep them all. And that's kind of interesting all by itself. Well, I think your point is that certain words get to survive and others don't, right? Is, sure. is that kind of what you're going after with? What I mean also is that they isolate themselves in their usage and meanings. Mm -hmm. Life's not fair and neither is English. know what you think about Word Matters. Review us on Apple Podcasts or email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by Adam Maid and John Vosey. For Neil Servan, Amon Shea, and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.